everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 181 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. So today, I'm really excited to share with you guys the first real view of Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu Headquarters 2.0. I've been telling you guys about this for what feels like years. It's probably just been a couple months. Uh, but we started not too long ago redoing our Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu headquarters. If you don't know what Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu is, you should go to simplifyingjujitsu.com. We have a lot of cool instructionals there. Uh, this is a company run by my dad, myself, and Logan Wayne, who's been on the podcast multiple times and is one of my black belts and runs our Jerseyville location for our gym. But... Uh, today you get the first real peek that isn't just me on my regular webcam on my camera and you get to kind of see at least a few of the angles that we have at Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu Headquarters for our podcast recording space. And I'm so excited to share this with you guys. I'm so excited for you guys to see this. What's cool about it is if you are watching on video, you could see me straight on or we could hit an angle and you can see me over here too. We'll actually have three camera angles and the lighting and the coloring will actually be right and uh, all this stuff won't just be me doing it myself. Uh, in probably by next week, the next time you guys see me, uh, we'll probably be at full strength, but right now we're at 80% strength. And that is so much more strength than me sitting in my office in my house uh, with a few colored lights behind me and talking to a USB microphone. I'm just so excited uh, <laughs> how this place has turned out. And we are going to be able to record so much more jujitsu content. Of course, so much more podcasts and things like that. We're going to get back to interviews. I have an interview to share with you guys uh, with Chris Paynes. That'll be coming out next Tuesday. I don't know what the date of that is, but you know, if you have a calendar, if you look, today's Thursday and this episode came out, the next Tuesday, four days, what is that, five days? Yeah, five days from now, you'll be able to see me and Chris Paynes. We have a really, really good episode about coaching. And that kind of brings me into what today's episode is about. So today we are going to talk about the white belt blueprint. Uh, and this is the ultimate beginner's guide to starting jiu-jitsu. And um, I just kind of, I, I noticed on the podcast that we have a lot of beginners that listen to the show because of how we present the show, how we present jujitsu. And um, we've never really done, or we've done very few episodes that are just fully directed to white belts, but we've never done an episode that is not only directed right at white belts, but is also directed at them starting from day one. We're gonna talk about uh, some really common problems that you may have in your jiu-jitsu journey. We're gonna talk about how to actually get started in your jiu-jitsu journey, how to pick the right gym, how to find the right coach, how to know if the coach that you have is the right coach for you. And uh, we're gonna discuss all of those things. And yeah, I think you guys are really gonna like it. I think there's gonna be a lot of nuggets for you to get out of this. And like we always do on the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show, we're gonna talk about so many different layers of being a white belt that there is no way that if you are a white or even a blue belt that you don't get something out of this episode. Um, but also, we are going to focus next week on the coaching blueprint. We're gonna look at everything you need to know and understand in order to be a good coach. 
And so I really think if you are a black belt that listens to the show, and I know we have a lot of those, I really think that this episode could be helpful simply for perspective. I know as I was going through this episode and thinking back to being a white belt, uh, it, it was really interesting. It was a really fun thought process for me to try to get through because it was a long time ago that I was a white belt. It was a long time ago that I dealt with these struggles, but there are still people dealing with these exact same struggles today. And yeah, it may be a little different. Yeah, jujitsu may have changed a little bit on us, but that doesn't really matter because we can help that next generation by knowing what problems they face, knowing the differences in the problems that they face today versus what we faced when we were having to find jujitsu in the yellow pages, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And so uh, I really do think that there's going to be something in this episode for everybody, but I will quit wasting your guys's time. Don't forget, if you want to see the new studio, you just watch this episode on YouTube or on Spotify. Spotify also has video. And so you can see the beauty that there is at Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu Headquarters. There's this episode of Family Guy where they finally get an HD TV and they can't watch the news anymore because they start to realize how ugly all the newscasters actually are. And so I really hope that that doesn't happen. If that starts to happen to you, just go right back to listening to audio only. But if you are excited about the new studio, be sure to watch us on YouTube. And of course, no matter where you're watching us, no matter where you're listening, don't forget to hit us with that five-star review. It's always helpful for us to get a five-star review on the show. And uh, Or if you're on YouTube, a like, a share, a subscribe. Those things are all great too. Let's... Let's stop rambling, and we'll go ahead and get into today's episode. All right, let's get started. So the first place I think that anyone would start in this type of episode where we're looking at the beginner's guide to jiu-jitsu is really your decision on whether or not you want to train jiu-jitsu. Once you decide I want to grapple. I want to try to learn this for whatever reason. Maybe you've listened to enough episodes of your favorite podcast and they talk about, the host talks about jujitsu and how cool it is. Or maybe you've just found some YouTube videos. You've just found some interest. Maybe you're a UFC fan and you're interested in grappling. There's so many reasons that people kind of first decide, I want to try this. A lot of times the reason isn't even that deep. You're just looking for something to do and, oh, there's a jiu-jitsu gym not far away. I'll try this. And so when you are looking at your why to start jiu-jitsu, I think it's really important that you find the right gym and the right coach. Okay, So those things really are one of the most important decisions that you're going to make in your jiu-jitsu journey because as you guys will hear on this episode that I have coming out with Chris Payne's next Tuesday – we talk a lot about what a coach's role is, and I'll give you guys a, a little spoiler on that episode and it kind of explain to you what a coach's job is. So a lot of times it is thought that a coach's job is to have the sacred techniques that they know that were taught to them by someone who is taught to them by someone who is taught to them by a, a, a Gracie or something like that, or, or some Brazilian somewhere, right? And that is kind of how jujitsu is thought of. And I think it's thought of that way because most martial arts are still thought of that way. What is your lineage? And I'm going to let you white belts in on a little secret. 
lineage in jujitsu is so irrelevant, it's unbelievable. And people are going to be mad that I said that. But the truth is, I, as some nobody kid from Granite City, Illinois, living in a flyby state in the middle of nowhere, have beaten in competition very, very high-level guys that have unbelievable lineage in their jiu-jitsu, that have that have learned jujitsu straight from the motherland, that have learned from people that are regarded as the best coaches that there are. But that is not really what a coach does. A coach doesn't take techniques that were taught to them 30 years ago and then explain them the same way. And then you go, oh, well, now that I know these techniques, 30 years from now, I will be as good as my coach. It doesn't work like that. Uh, techniques anymore in jujitsu are not sacred. And the reason I say that is because we all have YouTube. We all could buy a BJJ Fanatics instructional. There is not a huge barrier of entry for amazing jujitsu techniques taught to you by the best coaches in the world or even the best competitors in the world. That used to be how it was. When I first started jujitsu, lineage actually was important because there were people that claimed that they were jujitsu black belts and they actually weren't. That is becoming less and less of a thing. Uh, and it's because it's really easy to check, oh, well, this guy sucks. This guy is getting beat up by blue belts. This guy's getting beat up by white belts. He's probably not a black belt. He's probably not that high level. And this guy didn't train from another black belt. Oh, Josh, you just said that guy trains with another black belt. That's lineage, right? No, that is not lineage. That's just having a coach, right? I have no real connection to the coach that coached my coach, right? I don't see him very often. I don't, we're not on the same team anymore. Don't get me wrong, phenomenal coach. One of the best masters competitors of all time is the coach that coached my coach. But then we'll take one step further. The coach before him, I think I've met one time, and it was at a seminar, and he's taught some crazy, insane techniques that I've never, ever used when I was a blue belt. And you know, I've had these techniques for 12 years. I've never used them effectively in any way. Therefore, that lineage, there comes a point where that lineage really just doesn't matter. Of course, my coach's coach has certain principles and ideas that he taught my coach and my coach now teaches me or now taught me, you know, years ago when I was when I was still more of a student. But here's the thing. That lineage though, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter how far you are away from the motherland anymore because jujitsu is not not sacred. It is grappling. I know that that sounds like I'm I'm demystifying jujitsu, but that is the truth is when you start to train you will start to find that techniques aren't sacred, that perspective is sacred. Meaning, if you have a coach that has coached really good guys, that is so much more valuable than your coach being taught by someone who is very highly respected in the jiu-jitsu field. Or a coach that has made themselves a good competitor, and you want to be a good competitor, the perspective that your coach has, that is where the value is. 
So what that means is let's say that you decided you start your jujitsu journey and I think it's really important when you're looking for your potential first gym, when you're looking for your potential first coach, or maybe you've trained for a little bit and you realize that the place that you're at isn't really the place for you. What you should start doing is trying to, you know, and I know you don't have a lot of context as to what makes good jujitsu and what doesn't. But what you should do is start doing trials at all the gyms in your area. Do a free trial, do a free class, do a free two weeks, or, or sometimes they're paid. You, know, you pay for your first class, you pay for your first two weeks or something like that. But do those trials. Try out all the gyms. Meet the coaches. And what you should be looking for, of course, you want to look for somebody you can trust. You want to look for somebody whose morals seem to match up well with yours. But it's very hard to find to know that within a class. But one thing that is very easy to know is whether or not the coach, whoever was teaching that class, made jujitsu seem simpler. Jujitsu is very complex. And one of the most important things that someone can do for you in jujitsu is make it seem less complex. So if you decided, okay, I'm, I'm wanting to be a, a competitor in this school, I've been training for six months and the school that I'm at doesn't have any competitors. That coach doesn't really have perspective to create competitors. He has not done it himself and he has not done it with any of his students. Maybe you just absolutely love that coach and you go, this seems like a great guy, then still stay. You'll have to be the coach's first competitor. You need a coach that'll work with you. Most likely, though, if you see that your goals are different, it's not a big deal. It's not something, it's not like this coach is a bad person because he's not a competitor. But you still need that competitor perspective. And so you go around and you train at all these different gyms. And maybe you find a gym and the coach says one sentence and he says something about, breathing or paying attention or staying focused and it resonates with you it makes you go oh i've been i've been struggling with that that is the coach for you someone who makes jujitsu simpler someone whose perspective makes jujitsu simpler maybe it's not just the coach maybe you go to a gym and you notice the way that the the blue, the purple belts, the brown belts are treating you and the way that they're talking to you and the way that they're trying to help and guide you. And it's the same exact idea. If they are making things simpler for you, if they're making it make more sense, that is probably going to be the place for you. And just because it works for you doesn't mean that's the place for everybody. Really, and we'll talk about this on, on our commercial break, uh, I really think that there are three perspectives that you can learn jujitsu from. Uh, and I think it's different for everybody where they kind of fall when it comes to jujitsu learning. It's so easy to act like this is the perfect gym. That just doesn't exist. There is no way that everybody who's walked through the doors of my gym, Head Not HQ, has said, this is the perfect gym. There is a certain attitude and a certain level of physicality, a certain level of, um, of determination that is, is done and sold and performed at Head Not HQ that may not be a good fit for everybody. And that's okay. 
it doesn't have to be a big deal. And I know it gets weird when you signed up for somewhere for six months and that coach now thinks of you as their student and depends on you and, and maybe that leaving is weird. That's going to happen. But the big thing is when you are looking for the right gym, when you're looking for the right place, what you are looking for is perspective that helps you learn, perspective that makes jujitsu seem simpler. Everywhere you go in the country is going to teach very similar techniques. Yeah, there are places that are better. There are places that are worse, of course. But what you are really looking for is perspective. And so now we'll look... Um, just to make sure that we understand it, I wanted to look at the the sport gym versus self-defense gym and, and just kind of give an opinion on that. And you guys can take this or leave this. So when you first start jujitsu, you're going to hear that idea. You're going to hear this, um, this push of, oh, we're a competitive gym. We're not a competitive gym. I think that you can probably in most gym situations with about three or four dedicated people, you can probably compete anywhere. Even if your gym is a little more self-defense based, you can still, if you have three or four other people that are trying to compete, you can still all go and hit enough tournaments that you will learn what you need to learn in order to compete. And uh, for example, for me, there was a really long time at my coach's school where I was one of the only competitors. And I was especially one of the only competitors that was doing more than local tournaments. And I never even had the thought or the desire to leave because my coach's perspective was really helpful to me. My coach was also a competitor. He wasn't competing as much in jiu-jitsu. He was fighting more MMA at that time. Um, but he was also, he made it to the UFC. He's fighting at the highest level of MMA. And so... I am getting this perspective of somebody who actually did, who also is from a town in the middle of nowhere in Illinois, his town, like uh, Kyle's from Raymond, Illinois, and people will drive through Granite City where I'm from and they'll be like, oh, wow, this is the sticks. People from Granite City will drive through Raymond, Illinois and say, oh, wow, this is the sticks. And so that is where he's from. And he ends up making it on the Ultimate Fighter, making it to the semifinals, making it into the UFC. That was this huge perspective. And not only did I get this perspective, but I had a really unique situation. I was around while he was doing it. It wasn't just him saying, oh yeah, I did this 20 years ago. I'm around and I'm getting to experience someone competing at the level. Obviously, it's a different sport, but someone competing at the level that I hope to compete at the top level, the place that I go, oh, this is, this is the best place. And that was huge for me. That was, you know, to me, I, I, you know, there, I could have gone to probably any other coach in my area and I wouldn't have gotten that perspective. And that is why I stayed. That's why I loved training where I trained. But that being said, there were big periods of time, years that I was Kyle's main competitor, one of his only competitors, one of the only guys doing IBJJF tournaments. And yeah, it was, uh, it was frustrating at times because it's much easier to do these things with a team. But it also, it also was really fun because I kind of got to find some white and blue belts that were also enjoying competing and go, hey, come with me. Hey, you should do this tournament too. And it was this big thing. I was able to create almost a, 
a competition team. Obviously, Kyle was, it was his competition team. You know, it wasn't like I'm doing this, but my motivation and my excitement towards competing helped build that team. And now Kyle has competitors. Obviously, probably would have done that with or without me. But at that time, there just wasn't anybody. And instead of leaving, instead of saying, oh, this coach doesn't fit my goals, I should move to one of these big schools. And you know, I, had, I had opportunities to get to, to train for free and live for free at some of the best gyms in, in the world. Uh, but it's that same idea of finding a coach whose morals match yours, finding a coach whose perspective matches yours. I had what I needed from a coach. I had a guy that could get me to where I wanted to be and was excited and willing to do it. And so uh, it's not always so black and white from that perspective of, oh, well, my coach my coach fought in the UFC. I want to be a black belt world champion. These are two different things. I should leave, right? I think if you find somebody who is whose morals match up well for you, and of course, Kyle did make jujitsu seem simpler to me. But I think if it wasn't for his his morals, who he was as a person, I wouldn't have stayed. You know, I don't think that the the training was so high that that was what kept me. I really think it was that I found the right guy. And that is important. And if you have that, ignore everything I said about doing trials at other gyms. Ignore everything I said about leaving your gym. Finding a coach whose morals match up, who just seems like they care about you and they care about your success, I really don't, I don't think that that is as common as people think. I don't think that that is... Uh, yeah, I just don't think it's as common as people think. Now let's look at let's look at creating some habits. Let's look at uh, you know now that you have a place to train, now that you have a coach, and you kind of have a why. Maybe your why is to lose twenty pounds. Maybe your why is to learn to defend yourself. Of course, we've talked a lot about competition. Maybe that's your why. Maybe you competed in high school sports and you want to get to compete at, in jiu-jitsu. Maybe you've never competed in anything. For me, when I started jiu-jitsu, I was 14. The only competition that I had ever done is I played a year of park league basketball in like fourth grade. And I was chubby and shorter than everybody. And uh, I wasn't very good. It wasn't like I had this competitive drive that I was trying to express in jiu-jitsu. I really went in with the goal of losing weight. And what helped me lose weight was doing my first competition. Because your first competition, you've got to make a weight class. And it was way easier for me to go, okay, well, I can, I weigh 143, I could weigh 130. I could make that weight. And for me as a kid who always tried to diet because I was overweight, I was chubby, I always tried to diet and I never could do it successfully. The first time I tried dieting in jiu-jitsu, I did it successfully because it was for a jiu-jitsu tournament. And I didn't want to fight the weight classes for teenagers were like 110 to 130 and then 131 to 170. And this is just back when there was nobody competing and so you were just fighting anybody. Funny story about that. First tournament I ever did was... Um, we drove eight and a half hours. My coach was competing on this like pro card and there was a tournament along with it. And we, 
we, uh, a group of us went and competed. Um, actually, everybody who went and competed is now a black belt. Uh, Derek McGuire, who's been on the show, uh, my dad, obviously, who's been on the show myself, and then um, uh, our friend Defendo, who's supposed to be on the show. He just has been dodging me for been dodging me for months. Eventually, I'm going to get him here. Eventually, I'm going to convince him that it's like he's going to teach or something and then slide him in and make him do a podcast with me. But anyway, um, cool fact that 14, 15 years later, everybody's still training and everybody's a black belt. That's incredibly uncommon. But also that should show how cool of a guy my coach was and how much of a love he instilled for us, uh, for, for jujitsu in us. And I think that that, uh, that matters a whole, whole lot. But anyway, that first tournament, I make 130. I lose 14 pounds in like a month and a half, and I'm really feeling good, and I'm really excited. And what did they do? I'm the only kid at 130, and they combine my division with the 170-pound division. And my first match is a 14-year-old chubby kid whose only goal of learning jujitsu was to lose weight was against a kid that was like 17 i'm 14 he weighed 170 pounds and he has like five mma fights and uh that is my first match ever in jiu-jitsu it didn't go well um but i ended up actually winning some matches that day i ended up there was another kid that wasn't too much bigger than me and uh man i beat the brakes off that kid this was also back when you didn't always do jiu-jitsu to, and you would still enter submission grappling tournaments. So they did some, this kid did some weird martial art and he entered this tournament. And uh, yeah, jujitsu prevailed on that one as it, as it always does. Uh, but anyway, uh, you start with a goal. That's all you need to start jujitsu. But you also have to understand that your goals are going to change and that you are going to change. That is so important for a white belt to know. You think like, okay, one day I will be a black belt. One day, or one day I will get my black belt. And that's not the right term. One day you will be a black belt. That is what you should focus on. Because if you're focused on being a black belt and not just it being something that you receive, you will understand that as a white belt today, you are not the person that will receive their black belt. You will be totally different. Jiu-jitsu, of course, life itself will change you. But jiu-jitsu, doing 10 years of jiu-jitsu, doing 10 years, 15 years of being consistent on the mats and having all the trials and tribulations that come with jiu-jitsu, they will make you a different person. And so as you are starting and you do your first class and you start to go, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds, what's going to happen is you will lose that 10 pounds and then what so often for people in jujitsu they go in with this initial goal and jujitsu is so awesome it helps them accomplish it so quickly that's why i think the goal the end goal of being a black belt and becoming a black belt should be everyone's focus should be everyone's goal not getting it doesn't matter once you, you, it's so funny when people are brown belts, so many of them do not care that they are not a black belt yet. So many of them, of course, the, the getting the belt wrapped around your waist is this really cool and really special moment. But I have seen so many people just be like, oh, 
okay, whatever. And that is because they have changed as a person. That black belt is just acknowledgement of their change. It is just acknowledgement of their hard work. It is not the culmination of it. It is not, um, it's not anything special. It's just a piece of cloth. But what the piece of cloth represents is that you came in as a white belt. You took your beatings. You lost, you lost, you lost, and then you started to win. And then you started to help people. And then you started to help the people that came in that reminded you of yourself when you were a white belt. And remember, that person that you were that you were five years ago when you were a white belt, that person is dead. There is a new person with a new work ethic and a new belief in themselves that has grown and has become because of jujitsu. So of course, when you start with your why, whether it's you want to do your first tournament, whether it's you want to lose weight, whether it's anything, you want to learn to defend yourself, understand that that will be accomplished within six months to two years. Pretty much if you are consistent on the mats, pretty much whatever those goals are, they will be those first whys that you will start with when you start the idea of training, they will be accomplished really quickly. So make sure that the end goal is always kind of in your mind. Of course, we create small goals. We take small bites to get us there. I don't only think about black belt. I don't only think about becoming a black belt. I go, okay, my, I want to eventually become a black belt. This guy on the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show really sells that it can be awesome for you. It can change your life. But the only way to do that is to be consistent. One of the easiest ways to be consistent is to have small goals. Maybe your goal is to get a group of you guys competing. Once you start to do that, then you go, okay, well, maybe we should set a, a, a goal of all of us doing master worlds or all of us doing worlds or all of us doing pans or something like that. And you're able to create these goals and what they will do is they will create habits. And as you create habits, of course, like we said, you will change as a person. So now before we start to, uh, before we start to kind of get into, you know what, I will give you guys these two little, these two little notes that I have before we go. So as you are creating these habits and creating this schedule, and like I said, consistency is going to be so important, but you have to realize that consistency is not only going to be the most important thing, but it is so much more important than intensity. So many people think about, okay, I'm going to start because jujitsu is a violent sport. We are fighting somebody, right? I always make the joke on my team of we're fighting to the death. That's always the, the term that I use. All right, guys. Um, we're going to do belt promotions tonight. And then once we get done with the belt promotions, I'll set the timer for fives and then we'll all fight to the death. And it's this funny little joke that I make, but the truth is that's what we're doing. And since that's what we're doing when we're rolling live, and of course we tap before we die. And so, uh, it's all safe and it's all great. A lot of times that can create this intensity in yourself, this I've got to go harder. I've got to be tougher. I've got to be meaner. I've got to go harder. And you keep thinking that. And a lot of times what that does is it starts to 
make you get injured. It starts to separate you from your goals of actually getting better at jujitsu because you can get better at jujitsu without really ever going more than like 70% intensity. When I go with a really, really good guy, that is the intensity that I feel them going with me. And that is the intensity that I am trying to go with them. Every once in a while, of course, you can jump up to 100%, but that really is not that really is not that conducive to getting you better at jujitsu. If I'm always at 100%, it's like this. If you squeeze every muscle in your body as hard as you can, and I gently poke you on your back, most likely you won't even feel it. Most likely you wouldn't be able to say, oh yeah, you poked me right there. Now, if you were totally relaxed and I poke you on your back, you'll go, oh, and you'll feel that poke incredibly easily. You go, dude, why'd you poke my lower back? Are you a weirdo? I'll kill you, right? Because now you're getting good at jujitsu and you're too intense and you're too aggressive as most of us are. Um, but what that means is that you can't feel when you are going too hard, when your intensity is too high. And most jujitsu is going to be learned through feel. You can, if you roll with really good guys that haven't been coaches, a lot of times you can even ask them what they do and they'll go, well, I don't really know. I'm not really sure what I was doing there. That's a good question. I have no idea. I don't know what I do in these positions. I don't know what I do from here. And it's really interesting that that happens, but it's just because they've learned to feel their way through. And so when you are trying to create your habits, when you're trying to create your routines, make sure you value consistency over intensity so much. The only way that you will get, the only way you will become a black belt is by being consistent. And the last little thing that we'll talk before we move to commercial is the importance of focus. Because for me, when I am teaching jujitsu, when I'm teaching it on the show, I really only talk about two things. I really do. Everything on the show that's groundbreaking, that's this new idea, that's really cool, it can be broken down into two segments, either consistency or focus. With consistency and focus, you can be good at jujitsu. With consistency and focus, all the little things that we talk about on the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show automatically become a million times more effective for you. I know that was a really big, I should have probably only said 10 times more effective, but let's say a million, right? Because if you have no focus, you could learn designated winner and it could be the greatest training method of all time, but it wouldn't matter because you don't know what to play designated winner with. You don't have focus. You will not get as good as the people that have focus. Those are the two things, you know, and I, I really do, I'm really fortunate uh, as a coach. This is kind of for me, the reason that I think I have had some success as a coach is because people are really, really, really consistent at my gym. And people really like to stay for a long time at my gym. We talk about gym averages when I do like coaching meetings. And that is something I've put all my value in as a coach, uh, as a business owner, is like, student retention. And so I've talked to the, the most sought after jujitsu coaching 
coaches of coaches, the people that help you run your business, the most sought after ones. And I've talked to, I think most of them at this point, um, the people that run the best jujitsu businesses and teach you how to run the best jujitsu businesses. And I have spent so much money doing these things, but every time we get to this point and they'll say, yeah, you know, people generally stay for six months at a jujitsu gym on average. And so when you're signing people up, if you can sign them up for a year, you're doubling the amount. Some people will say, I remember a coach told me the highest that they ever had, that they had ever heard of an average was 11 months. And he's like, yeah, and that's unheard of. Nobody has a student retention average of 11 months. And I just try to keep my mouth shut in those. Because I'm like, my student retention average is like over two years. And that's when we stopped keeping track. Because that was when we go, okay, we're, we're really doing good on that. But we live in a, in a community that that is conducive for. That, you know, if you live in Granite City, what else are you going to do once you sign up for jujitsu? right? This is 1,000 times more fun than anything else you might do. And so what it has allowed me to do that I think a lot of other coaches don't get to do is be with the same guys for a really long period of time. I have so many people that have been with me for seven years, like an incredible amount of people that I have promoted white to purple or white to brown. And in that, I have noticed the people that get better and then the people that struggle with getting better. And there are only two things that actually matter when I see, of course, athleticism matters. Of course, being in good shape matters. Of course, being healthy matters. But the two things that actually matter for jujitsu progression only, they can be broken down to consistency. The people that I know, the classes that I teach, this guy will be here, this guy will be here. There are certain people that if they get sick, everybody at the gym is talking about, hey, where's that guy? He's always here. I don't like we're all stressed. We're like nervous about starting class. You know, and we have 30 people and 40 people in class, but there's one guy missing, and we're like, hey, this is our most consistent guy. Where is he at? Is everyone has anyone talked to him? Is he okay? And like they missed one night. But those are the people that get the best, is the people that are that consistent. And then the people that I notice, everybody, uh, we, we really at our gym are really big on asking questions, and I think. That is a skill to develop is how to ask questions because at first you ask really broad, how do I not get submitted? And, you know, that's an unanswerable question, right? Unless you talk to my friend, Chris Paines, who will teach you how to defend everything. Um, but for any other coach, un unanswerable question. And what will start to happen is you'll start to define your questions better. You say, hey, I'm getting submitted from Mount. How do, I, how do I not get submitted for mount? Or I'm getting mounted a lot. How do I escape this position? How do I stay safe? How do I avoid this position? You start to ask better questions. That's a skill, right? My students that have that skill, they tend to ask questions about the same positions for months. Why is that? It's because they have focus. And when you are focused you will be better at jujitsu. And if you struggle to have something to focus on, you can ask yourself two questions and it's really easy and then we'll move on to our commercial, okay? So if that is 
That is the thing that's clicking with you. You go, okay, I have the right gym, I have the right coach, but I struggle with being consistent or I struggle with focus. The questions to ask yourself with focus are, when things go right for me, what does that mean? Maybe you had this little flash in your head. Okay, side control. That's when things go right. So now all your questions should be formulated off that. How can I get into side control more? How can I maintain side control more? Two things that you could focus on for six months each easily. Simple questions. Or you ask yourself the other side. The other side of the coin. When things go wrong, how do they go? When things go wrong for me, what is happening? And that would be where you would, okay, it's when I get put in side control. Well, how could I have better guard retention to not get put in side control anymore? Well, luckily, Josh was just on the Elbows Tight podcast two weeks ago, and he gave a really cool training method that's really simple to help me with guard retention. And I can focus on that for the next six weeks to six months. I can focus on side control escapes. I can focus on you know, shoot, you can focus on the buggy choke if you want to. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. But you could. And if you had that focus, you are so much better than everybody else is. You are in, in a better spot than everybody else is at your gym. Focus matters so much. If you're struggling with consistency, it's a whole episode to understand how to be more consistent. Listen to the episode that I posted maybe eight weeks ago, and it's, uh, I was wrong about jujitsu schedule. That is, uh, to me, if you're struggling with consistency, that episode, the, the things that I learned in preparation for that episode have helped me so much this year being more consistent. And so uh, with that being said, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a commercial break, and then we're going to look at six common problems that you may have, five common problems, sorry, that you may have in your jujitsu journey, especially in the beginning, and we're gonna look at how to overcome all those things. Yeah, let's go to a commercial. Hey everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just wanna tell you about a resource that can help you take your jujitsu game to the next level. So the Three Lenses ebook is available for free at simplifyingjujitsu.com slash three. And this is a beginner-friendly guide to understanding the essential concepts of learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu. This is not a, a technique book. This is not even a concept book. This is just a book on how you could better increase your jiu-jitsu learning. So whether you're a white belt just starting out or a seasoned practitioner looking to deepen your understanding of the art, this ebook is packed with insights and practical advice to help you improve your game. It also is packed with different jiu-jitsu terminology and jiu-jitsu language that will help you take one word that will uh, replace big paragraphs or, or big you know, big conversations in your jiu-jitsu journey, right? So with the three lenses approach, you'll learn how to see jiu-jitsu through three key perspectives. This is the athletic, the, what are the other ones? Shoot, it's athletic, artistic, and scientific lens. Man, I almost, I almost forgot what I wrote on this because I am the author of this. But with those three lenses, you'll gain a deeper understanding of the principles that make jiu-jitsu training effective. 
and you'll be able to apply them to your own training. So if you want to simplify your jujitsu and take your game to the next level, head over to simplifyingjujitsu.com slash three and download your free copy of the Three Lenses ebook today. Trust me, you will not regret it. All right, we are back. We are back. As I was sitting in between uh, the commercial break, I was thinking, man, this was a terrible name for this episode because it's almost more like the ultimate guide to staying in Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a white belt uh, instead of just starting. I didn't talk anything about what gi you should you should purchase, um, you know, what rash guards you should purchase. It should obviously be imposed will because they sponsor your boy Josh McKinney. You know, they don't they don't sponsor the podcast yet, but I've actually got something really cool to share with you guys very soon from imposed will uh, that we'll talk about on the podcast. And it is oof, it's 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 definitely the coolest thing that I've ever done, which I mean it's not that impressive. I haven't done a lot of cool things. Um you know, besides being able to um, change camera angles in the new studio, that's pretty much, those are the only two things that I've ever done um, in my jujitsu journey. If you guys are watching on video, I just hit you with the, the double video angle, camera angle change. Anyway, back to the episode. Yeah, if that was why you were listening to this episode, like, man, I hope Josh tells me which geese and rash guards to buy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really being honest. There are definitely... My favorite rash guards, definitely my favorite shorts, and I'm still not sure if I want to say that they're my favorite gi ever, 100% the most comfortable gi that I have ever wore in my life by far, but man, I miss the sandpaperness of other gis. I maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just a sickness at this point, maybe I've just gotten too used to it, but I almost think I like the, the chafing and the gi burn that I get from other gis. So if you like those things, don't get an imposed will gi. But if you were hoping to, to be comfortable when you train like a weenie, then uh, yeah, probably get an imposed will gi. No, I'm just joking. I honestly, I, I really, uh, I just can't give those guys enough shout out. They don't sponsor the podcast, uh, but uh, Adam at imposed will, he'll, he'll do an episode with us really soon. Hopefully, actually within the next couple of weeks, now that I think about it, I need to get him on. But regardless, you guys should check those rash guards out and those geese out. I'll link it in the description, imposedwill.com, I'm pretty sure. But like I said, I will link it in the description of this one. Um, let's talk about five common problems. These are the fine, five main problems that you will experience in jujitsu. And they're broad. And so what I'll do is I'll tell some stories, do some things to make them a little more specific, make them ring in for you a little bit more. Um, but one of the most common problems in jujitsu, and I totally agree with this, um, but I actually didn't write this. Uh, this is this was me more researching than writing. I just thought I would talk about all five of these problems. Um, but the overwhelm and information overload is the number one problem. And I think that this is always going to be the number one problem for people in jujitsu. Why is it? Is because it's hard to focus in jujitsu. Really, it's, 
you know, I know that we, anybody on any podcast, anybody that comes off guru e always says the same crap about how trash social media is and how it's ruining our society. So I won't get into that so I don't sound like an old guy. But social media is trash and it's ruining our society. And it's also ruining our ability to focus. Um, this is a, I, I hope that this doesn't come off as uh is me being on a high horse because this is something that you know I struggle with not getting on social media, even though I try really hard not to, even though it's something I try to be really cognizant of. There are days that I know I need to make a post for I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu Show or my Instagram at the Josh McKinney. Give me a follow. Uh, no, don't delete your Instagram. It's a bad. It's a bad idea to have. Anyway. There are times that I do that and then I find myself scrolling and then I find myself mad about something stupid or, you know, just on some rabbit hole that I just don't need to be on and um, something that's stealing my focus. But that is because that is what social media is designed to do. What every social media company is doing right now is they are creating algorithms or perfecting algorithms that keep your attention that keep your focus. And so there's a, there's a problem with that. That is that we stop having control of our own focus. And so many of us, you know, this is ringing in and like, yeah, I can't even control my own thoughts. When I'm trying to stay in my head, I just, I am falling from one thing to the next and to the next. And to me, I think that that comes from the addiction to scrolling. And it really is this weird addiction. I noticed that if I turn off Facebook and Instagram off my phone, immediately I will want to fall to YouTube so I have something to scroll through. And I have all these cool things that could keep my attention or keep my focus. But that's not good. It's not good to not get strengthening of our focus muscle. And jiu-jitsu can be a really good way to do that. But the problem is so often we learn jujitsu the same way that we scroll through Instagram. And that is with this randomness of, okay, well, what's this coach showing tonight? And sometimes coaches do a really good job of keeping your focus on a position or an idea or a technique for a long period of time, for a month, for six weeks, for something like that. But I would say most of the time that isn't what happens. Most of the time, you know, uh, I think it was, oh, uh, I have an episode of BGJ Mental Models. I got to be on the show and talk about Designated Winner. Um, and that'll be out, I think, in like two weeks. But what was really, really cool about this episode is I learned so much on it. And um, you know, you're going to talk to a guy that has perspectives that's interviewed 250 of the best coaches in the world. And then Josh McKinney. So, you know, obviously their podcast is going downhill if you're having to interview Josh McKinney. But anyway, um, you know, something that he said was that coaches tend to get bored of showing something before the students do. You know, for a coach, you're there every night a lot of times. And so you're showing the same technique five days in a row. And even though very few students are coming to all five days, 
it feels like they all are. And you're like, I, everyone's tired of this because I'm tired of it, right? And so for most coaches, it's hard to stay focused on an idea or a technique or, or something like that. And what it starts to produce is your coach showing you a bunch of moves just randomly or your Instagram or your YouTube showing you a bunch of moves just randomly. And you're going, all information is good. All information is good. But that's not true. If you don't have focus, it's really hard for all information to be good because you start looking at all information and giving it the same level of value. That's really um, a, a big problem to me in the jiu-jitsu space is what we call, we've called it on the show forever. I think from episode one, we've used this term. People become the victim of a thousand moves. You know 1,000 moves, but you don't know when to do any of them and you suck at all of them, right? And a lot of times it's just random. You're just hoping that you fall into a spot that you know, and then you say, okay, uh, leg weave pass from here. And then your opponent squares up and you're in closed guard and you're like, oh crap, well, I don't, I don't know what to go for from here. Or maybe I should go for this, or maybe I should go for this. And while you're thinking, your opponent's beating you down, right? That is the victim of a thousand moves. How you combat this is with what we've, always talked about on the show, we've always called the end goal method, where you take one end goal position, maybe it's a submission, maybe it's a dominant position, we've been using side control as our example for today. So maybe you take your side control and you go, okay, I want to start in side control. And I want to hit side control for um, six weeks, I want to hit it for six months. And what will happen, even if that is the only focus that you have, you'll start to get good at side control. Your Instagram ideas that you start to look for, you'll only stop when they're side control, when they're an escape or a submission or a way to maintain side control or an idea on side control because you have a focus. All that other stuff, just push out, right? It's clouding your focus. It's clouding your ability to get better. And so uh, for that feeling of information overload, the best way to do that is to stop absorbing so much information, to focus, to actually get better at the skills required to hold and finish from side control or to escape and defend from side control if you're the person playing bottom. Find somebody, play designated winner with them. Start to do a bunch of reps from those positions. You will get better. I'll make sure to link the most recent um, end goal method episode and the most recent uh, designated winner episode. So then you can actually look at the, that information overload and actually have a, a, a clearer and more concise way to, to go and get better and, I don't know, to overcome that information overload. Um, I, I think I know the episode numbers, but I'm just going to I'll just link them in the description because every time I say, I think this is episode whatever, it's never that episode. Um, but yeah, we'll make sure that uh, the DW and the end goal method are both in, um, in the show notes and you'll be able to check those out. So next, the next common problem for white belts, and this is very common. This is a common problem for everybody in jujitsu, but that is physical discomfort and injury. Soreness and beat upness and being injured. So uh, obviously, jujitsu is is a full contact sport. It's very stressful on the body, and you can get injured. 
That is something. That's why every gym requires you to sign a waiver is because getting injured happens in jujitsu. So there are some things you can do to make sure that you're not getting injured very badly. And then we'll look at how to deal with if you are injured really badly, how to be on the shelf. Um, and then we will look at how to deal with small injuries too, things that aren't as significant that you could probably train through, but how to train through them. And so the first and biggest thing, so the real reason that I see people get catastrophically injured, myself included, is because of overtraining. There are people in the jiu-jitsu space that claim that overtraining does not exist. If you ever hear this, you should always ask those people, where do you buy your steroids from? Because I would love to have some. I would love to feel the way that you feel and live in the delusion that you live in that overtraining is not possible in jiu-jitsu. Overtraining is so incredibly possible in jiu-jitsu. It's so common in jiu-jitsu. But let's define what it is. Really, to me, what overtraining is, is your training to sleep slash rest ratio. And it's going to be different for everybody. You know, not everybody requires the same amount of sleep. Not everybody can train at the same intensity. Not everybody can train uh, uh, as much as or with the same volume as, as everyone else, right? So it's going to be different for everybody. It's going to depend on your age. It's going to depend on the other things that you do. If you have a full-time construction job, the amount of physicality that you have to put out for your job plus jujitsu versus somebody who doesn't work and they're able to sleep at home all day, well, how much you guys train is going to be different. And yes, you can tough through things. You can make yourself show up. But a big thing that is important to remember is not all training is valuable. There is a point of diminishing return when it comes to training, when it comes to weightlifting, when it comes to even when it comes to flexibility training. There is a point of diminishing return, meaning, oh, four days a week of training has been great for me and I feel great. So seven days a week will be great for me too. And then you train for seven days a week and you're not getting those days off and you start to break down. And really what will happen most of the time is you will stop getting this. You will not get the same value per day out of your training. You are getting more value each session when you were training four days a week. That is super common. That happens to people all of the time. And all you have to do is listen to your body. Again, I'm referencing that episode I told you guys I would share was the episode on habits. And um, spoiler alert, that's what I was wrong about when it came to jujitsu schedule. But the episode on habits, we talk about the importance of listening to your body. It is important to know, okay, everything hurts on my body. It would be more valuable for me today to sleep the extra two hours and skip 6 a.m. class today so I can go to it tomorrow and actually feel good. Feeling good in training is so helpful. It will keep you from getting injured. It allows you to make certain decisions that you wouldn't be able to make if you were physically depleted. And I'll give you two examples of this. I just told you guys a few weeks ago about the rib injury that I had, and I didn't give you guys full disclosure on it. If I'm really being honest with you, that rib injury 
was completely my fault and it was completely ego. I would not have had that. I would not have suffered through 18 months of this injury if I would have taken a day off. I woke up after one of the best training sessions that I had had in months. And I noticed, wow, I'm really sore. Everything is tight. And it wasn't like a normal jujitsu soreness. You know, I've been training for, at that time, 12 years, 13 years. I know what my body feels like. I knew that I shouldn't go into training. But there were some guys visiting from out of town. And I was like, you know what? These guys came to train with me and they want to train with me. So I'm going to go train. And I forced myself to. And that was where my injury came from. I went into that training session and I even had the thought, I need to be really careful today. I could get injured. And what did I do? I went super hard. And what happened? My rib just basically fell off of the rest of my body. It was horrific, but it was totally my fault. Had I have listened to my body? Well, I wouldn't be giving this example right now. And that brings me to the next thing. Before we dig into, we just talked about big injuries. Um, if you're dealing with small injuries, there are small injuries you can train through, you know, but you've got to be careful and you've got to have faith in training partners and trust for training partners. This is not how you handle it. Don't go in with an elbow injury and say, hey man, um, my elbow's really hurting, don't attack it, and then go 110% on the guy that you're rolling with, right? Because if you're rolling that hard, and you leave your arm out, probably deserves to get attacked, right? A lot of times people will use that as an excuse of like, hey, don't go as hard against me, but I'm gonna go as hard as I can against you, right? And that's not fair. And what's gonna happen is people will start to attack that arm. They will start to go, oh, okay, I'm beating this guy up. And they'll get tired of it and they will attack your arm. Instead, Find somebody and go, hey, could we play designated winner for a period? Hey, could we just positional spar? And you choose a positional spar that will protect your elbow. Or maybe your knee's hurt. You choose a positional spar where you're on bottom and it will protect your knee. But do not, if you have a limit, make sure that you express that limit at the beginning of the round. And don't just say, hey, my arms hurt, my legs hurt, my neck's hurt. Don't touch any of those things, but I'm going to try to murder you. That's not fair. That's going to just make people go hard on you. And then you're going to be like, I told that guy my arm was hurt and he still attacked it. Yeah, you were going 110%. You were going live, but you weren't physically able to go live. So you shouldn't have been going live. And so just setting those parameters for real and not saying, hey, don't touch this. I'm going to try to kill you though. That will make such a difference for the small injuries. But remember for the injury prevention, listening to your body, knowing when you're beat up, knowing when you're not, knowing when you could go and when you shouldn't. And that doesn't mean you don't show up to class. We talk about it in this episode. I keep re uh, uh, referencing about habits. You keep the schedule and you reduce the scope. Sometimes you need to just take off completely. You need to rest. But sometimes you do have a little jujitsu skill that you could develop. So you go in and you drill. You go and you play designated winner. You go in and do something that is helpful for you. Maybe you go in and watch class. I just gave a purple belt to uh, a guy that during his blue belt, he had an ACL tear. He's nuts. Actually, he had the ACL tear 20 years ago and never got it worked on and then trained 
four years of jujitsu and then finally was like, ah, I better get this worked on. But anyway, when you get that ACL surgery, you're out for a period of time. And so he comes back and he was better than when he left. Why is that? Which well, because his daughter trained and he would drop off his daughter and he would watch class and he would even ask questions. Sometimes I would show a move and I would walk around and no one would have a question and I would go over to my student cam and he would say, hey, how do you do this with this grip? And I'm like, oh, he's still out here learning. He's still out here getting better, even with a significant injury. And so don't think that just because you have one that you cannot train. You still can. Now, as we just talked about with my ego and me going in and training when I shouldn't have, ego and frustration, that is what is going to take ego. Your ego is going to get beat down in jujitsu, even if you're gifted your ego is going to get beat down in jujitsu. And that's not only okay, but that's supposed to happen. When people say jujitsu saves your life and jujitsu changes you, one of the biggest things that it does is it breaks your ego. Uh, and if it hasn't yet, go compete. Keep competing. Eventually it will. Eventually you are going to run into a spot that you just can't win anymore, and it is gonna break your ego. I've seen guys that have done well all the way up until black belt, and then they start to lose three, four tournaments in a row at black belt, and they like quit competing. And I've seen that quite a few times. And it's because they never got their ego beaten down enough. And then there came a point where it had to happen, and even though they were a black belt, they weren't ready for it. And they couldn't handle it. And sometimes people even quit jujitsu because of that. It is so important that you get beat up early. You let that happen early. And you continue to let it happen. It will continue to happen. And just my note on ego, and I reference this all the time, but it, it's just such a good quote. And it makes so much sense for people's ego. Is when I interviewed here on Gracie, he says... When you get submitted, or when you submit someone, you're so excited because jujitsu works. He said, and so when you get submitted, you should be so excited because jujitsu works. It worked against you and not for you, but you should be excited because jujitsu works. And if you start to treat losing in the gym, if you want, if you start to redefine winning and losing, maybe a win for me in the day is that I got a little better. Maybe I didn't actually win a round. Maybe jujitsu is not performance-based for me at all. It is just, can I get better today? Can I get better today? Eventually, one day, you'll want to perform. You'll need to perform, right? Uh, you'll have somebody that's one of your buddies that, that jumps into the gym and you're a blue belt now and it's his first day and he's really strong and he's always told you he could beat you up. Hey, I know we just talked about ego, but sometimes you got to beat those guys up. You've got to help your friend lose their ego, right? So sometimes you got to perform. That's when you perform. Everything else can just be training. Maybe you perform at the competition. Maybe you have one day a week that's like competition training and that's your performance day. Everything else is just skill development. And it's okay if you lose. It's okay if you lose in the performance day. You're still going to learn something from it. Reframing what winning and losing is will help your ego so much. And if you're not dealing with this ego discouragement all the time, well, what's going to happen 
is you're going to start to get better because that is this negative that you have to deal with, this self-doubt, this frustrating battle that you're dealing with every time. And look, you're going to deal with it all the way to black belt and even after black belt. If somebody walked into my gym and they were a black belt and they just starched me in front of all my students, I'm sure that my ego would be like a little hurt. I'm sure that I would, you know, cry in the shower. But I also have practice in that. I would know how to deal with it. I would know how to deal with it and not let it rule my life. But that only happens by reframing and by staying consistent. Now let's look about mindset and practice, right? We've talked about mindset. I actually did the last three episodes of the show were all on mindset. Um, and we talked about the importance of it. We talk about how progression takes time and you're going to deal with setbacks and consistency and focus are the important things for mindset. But just understanding that mindset, you know, what we're talking about a second ago with dealing with your ego, with learning to be smarter about injuries, those things, they are practices, meaning some days you're going to do well, some days you're not. But the more you do well, the more you practice it, just like the more you practice your Kimura, the more you're going to hit your Kimura. The more you practice limiting your ego, the more you practice getting submitted in the gym and being okay with it, the more you practice listening to your body, the more you practice anything that we've talked about on this episode, the better that you will get at it. And so having a mindset, what we called on this, this last episode maybe two weeks ago, a growth mindset. That is going to make such a difference for you because you'll say, okay, well, I really sucked. I, my ego was too big today and I notice it. I'm looking back on it now and I'm embarrassed and I'm, I, you know, I shouldn't have slapped them at practice. Go apologize to that guy that you, after he submitted you, you slapped them at and you were mad and just say, Hey, that was not a good way to react. Go practice some humil humility. It will be so much easier to be humble the next time. And there will be another time to be humble. There will be another time that you do something dumb and you embarrass yourself. We all do it. But you practice. You just every day you say, okay, today I'm getting a, a choice on whether I'm more consistent, whether I'm more patient. I'm going to continue to practice it. And now we'll look at the last problem. And that is finding the right training partners. So you got to understand jujitsu is social. And as much as you have 300, 400, 500 people in your gym, and that is your team, and then you have thousands of people around the country that are part of your affiliation, and you, you guys are a team. But the truth is, the best jujitsu training, the best jujitsu learning is done in like groups of four, groups of eight, groups of 12, small groups of people that share a focus. I've given this, I've told this before in the podcast, but I have this like, this thing that I'll do at my gym now where I'll show an idea and I'll let people play designated winner, let people kind of exploration drill or, or however they want to approach the idea. And then I'll wait like 30 minutes and let everybody do it. And then I'll walk around the gym and I'll ask my students, hey, what did you find here? And then they'll go, oh yeah, I found this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that blows my mind because I didn't know that. That's helpful for me, right? They kind of complete my perspective, even though it was my idea that I was showing. 
they express it differently. They complete my perspective. And to me, that shows the value in having a group all focused on the same thing. Because if I have 30 of my students all focused on the same thing, and yeah, maybe, maybe 20 of them are still just learning the ins and outs of it. But maybe 10 of the people on the mats are my high-level guys that have heard this idea a few times. And they can now go, well, I can express this idea a little differently than I ever have. Shoot, that's going to be huge. That is going to change things for me. That, that idea that they figured out is going to be so important. And that happens when you have a four-person, an eight-person friend group all focused on the same thing, all focused on the same tournament, all focused on the same whatever. But if you guys share your focus, it'll help you stay consistent. It'll help you go, wait a second, one of our eight guys wasn't in tonight. We should all message him and see where he's at, see if he's okay, see if he needs anything. Because we need that guy to, you know, like you literally eight times your progression if you're all focused on the same thing and then you're all sharing the ideas that you all came up with. Wow, the Kamora works better if we do this. And then it helps everybody. And so then you all start doing that, and then you find little details off that idea that was already just built. You're getting better faster now. Finding the right training partners is one of the biggest battles. You're going to have some that are the perfect person, and then they quit. And that's going to happen. Don't hold it against them. Jiu-Jitsu is different for everybody. Maybe one day they'll come back. I have so many people now at my gym that I trained with 15 years ago when I started or 14 years ago when I started, and maybe they took seven or eight or 10-year breaks, but they're back now. And if I had treated them like trash for, for not training during the time that they didn't train, I just don't think they would have come back. But just letting people know, hey, dude, I miss you. I wish you were back training. When, it's for, when, it, when you have the chance again, I would love if you could get back. You'll be surprised. People do come back eventually. And a lot of times that's like it, more exciting than somebody staying consistent when you've been the guy staying consistent. Um, but try to find people that are close to your size, that are close to your skill level, that have a good attitude, and most importantly, share your goals or share something close to your goals. Even if you have to kind of convince them, even if you have to sell those goals to them, it'll be helpful. And I think that's where I'll leave you guys on this one with the ultimate guide to starting BJJ. I know we didn't talk about probably any of the things you would expect for us to talk about on the ultimate guide to starting BJJ, um, but we will go ahead and close out this episode and uh, let Josh finish us off here. Take it away, Josh. And that is the episode. Thank you guys for uh, watching this one, man. Thank you for or listening or however you consumed this episode. Uh, if you guys got something out of it, be sure to share it with somebody. It's really, um, you know, I know I talked about so many struggles that white belts have. And so if this is something that clicks with you, most likely it's gonna click with most of the white belts on your team in your gym, or just the white belts that you're trying to, or blue belts or purple belts or whatever, that you're trying to build your team with, right? You're trying to find those right two people, four people, six people to train with and kind of push you to your goals. 
send them this episode. It's a really easy way to kind of start that framework. It's a really easy way to kind of convince people the importance of building that small team that we all meet up on Thursdays, we all meet up on Fridays, and we all have a common focus. And uh, I really think that's the the important takeaway for me, like that, that people should be implementing more, that I should be implementing more. It's something I do well, but I just know that there's so much value in it. And having small groups focused on certain things. And for me as a coach, I like to have maybe five or six small groups in my gym all focused on different things and then I just steal those ideas um, so that's a that's a coaching thing for you guys and we'll talk about coaching next week uh, and we'll look at the ultimate guide to coaching and and how to do it how to do it better and how to progress at it um, and uh, don't forget if you guys enjoyed this episode and you didn't want to share it or you did share it already and you just want to give me extra feedback give me a five star review on whatever platform you are listening on i would greatly appreciate it uh, also don't forget the three lenses ebook is available at simplifyingjujitsu.com slash three and it is absolutely free and it can really help change your perspective help you uh progress faster at jujitsu and that's really what we focus on on the show And uh, yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hope maybe there were parts that made you laugh, parts that made you cry, parts that made you say, oh. But most importantly, I hope that today's episode helps you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu. Have a great day, guys.